0: the self-love club where boss women share their stories to empower others welcome to the self-love club podcast i'm your host Belle crawford hello welcome to a new episode thank you so much for listening we'll get into it very soon couple of quick things we rely heavily on your support and thank you so much for the support you give the self-love club ways you can do that is making sure that you're subscribed to the self-love club on whatever podcast app you like listening on we're on all of them also you can share it with your friends send the link uh, tag us in your instagram story share it with your pals you can find us at self love club podcast on instagram we're in a few other places too and you can find all of those in the show notes of this episode on the self love club insta you get daily content little pep talks your midweek psa igtv clips heaps of cool stuff and most of all really cool to be able to connect with you right let's get into this week's episode Hannah Harris is a film director and creator of groundbreaking show The Baby Mama's Club and her latest project Sis. Both are the first shows to have a lead cast of Māori and Pacifica Woman, and Baby Mama's Club broke streaming records rating just behind historical number one, Shortland Street. If you haven't watched them, please do. The comedy is hilarious and they share important messages. And Al got pregnant in her second year of drama school and with the help of her friends finished her studies and started working in the industry with determination to do great things using her platform to be an activist and tell stories that need to be shared. In this episode, we discuss becoming a young mother and the stigma and shame young brown mothers face, systemic racism, the constant oppression and how Hanel navigates it, and we find out about maturanga and maramataka, which is a huge part of Hanel's self-care. We're so lucky to have Hanel on the Self-Love Club podcast. Hanel, welcome to the Self-Love Club podcast. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, and now uh, we were going to do this in person and things are pretty intense out there. So how are you, how are you doing with the latest situation? We're all finding ourselves in, in lockdown again.
1: I think you just have to go with it, eh? I'm pretty lucky with my work at the moment that, you know, I can do a lot of it from home. So I know that I'm really, I'm really blessed in that sense. I mean, it's really hard to kind of take a look around and see people losing jobs and stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. it's, we're definitely living in a very trippy world right now.
0: Mm, yeah, definitely. Now, take us back. Tell us a bit about yourself and what you do, what you're doing at the moment.
1: I'm a filmmaker or I'm a storyteller. Um, I started back in, oh, I don't know, 2007. I moved from um, a small town in the far north called Kaikohe and I moved down to Auckland to go to drama school. Um, So I started off as an actor and I was 17 at the time when I came down here. And then about my second year of uh, drama school, I fell pregnant with my son. So I was about 19, took the year off, became a mum, went back, finished studying. And then I came out into um, like a really bad drought. There was a really bad drought in the industry at that time. There was not really a lot of work. And so, yeah, me and my friend, we just started creating. We just started writing short film. Through um, studying, we had crossed paths with a woman called Sima Orale, who was pretty much like the first Pacifica female to direct feature. And she'd kind of seen me working with some actors and she had thought I was really good at it and um, suggested that I try directing. And at that time I just dismissed her. I told her I was too dumb um, and that I wouldn't know what to do with a camera. But anyway, we gave it a go. I went back to study and yeah, came out into the industry mainly did a lot of work with actors so a lot of like casting and acting coaching and then um just started making my own stuff and at the time I was still a working actor as well and there was just a penny drop moment where I realized that the characters and the stories that I wanted to be part of didn't exist and so I just thought that I would start to make the content that I wanted to see.
0: We'll go through all of that soon because that's all really interesting. Like, Take us back to growing up. Did you know growing up what you wanted to do or did you have these dreams growing up at all?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was always that kid growing up that wanted to do performing arts. So growing up, I was actually brought up by my grandparents. My mum gave me up when I was younger. So I grew up for a little bit and I've had a really jigsaw of a childhood My mum fell pregnant young. I don't think she was really sure that she wanted me. She came back to New Zealand. My grandmother told her to come back to New Zealand and they kind of helped her raise me for a bit. And then my mum went back to Sydney with me. And I think she really struggled over there as a single mum, as a young single mum over there. And so she eventually ended up sending me home to live with my grandparents. And we moved from Tokoroa to the far north, up to Kaikohe. Ever since I can remember as a kid I was always like that kid that just really loved performing arts and um, I always wanted to be an actor but my grandmother was, she was a very like old school woman, she was a very strict woman and so growing up she was like no you're going to be a lawyer or a teacher or I'm going to send you to the army, that was the <laughs> other thing that she really wanted to do, she wanted to send me to the army. It wasn't until I was about 11, she came to a school play, I got off stage and she was crying and she was like, this is your gift, this is what you're really good at. And so from there, I did drama all through, pretty much all through high school and I did a lot of like speech competitions and stuff and she'd always come. So yeah, she pretty much became like my biggest supporter of what I did. She unfortunately passed away while I was in my first year at drama school, so she Never got to see me on stage Aww. or never got to see any of my films or TV series or nothing. Like she's never, she would have seen it, I'm sure, but just yeah. not earthside. So
0: It sounds like you had good support in your grandparents. Was that hard? Like, I mean, I guess you didn't really know any different, but like, was that hard having your mum away and like, did it impact you at all, do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I am currently working on a project at the moment which studies maternal abandonment from the point of view of a female. Um, I read this psychology passage that said, males that have been abandoned by mums can go on to be mothered by girlfriends and wives, but women that have been, or females that have been abandoned by mums, they grow up to be very fiercely independent because they have to basically raise themselves. And I really, re- that resonated with me a lot because not growing up with a mother really um, informed. It informs a lot of the way that I view the world. It informs the type of mother I am. I'm extremely maternal, but it obviously comes from a place of um, overcompensating because I haven't had it. We all have our triggers, and mine definitely is centered around. Not having a mum and yeah, it's a very it's quite a bizarre feeling, mm. you know. Especially on like things like Mother's Day. Even though I'm a mum now, you know, I'll see people talk about, oh my god, mum. You know, they'll mm. post photos with their mum and they're like, thanks so much, mum. You're so amazing. Thank you for everything you've done. And I'm like, Oh, I can't relate, mm. you know, because that woman for me is is was my grandmother. She's passed away now. And so it's taken me a really long time to kind of reconcile with that. And especially because obviously it's a weird thing when your mother is still living, but you can't have that relationship with her because that bond isn't there. So she really is just like another person, you know. But in saying that, I have found mother figures. I've found women who have really invested in my career, who have helped me get to where I am today, who I call for advice.
0: And talk us through your, you know, you said that you went to went to drama school and then you fell pregnant. And so being a young mom, that must have been like, especially hustling in an industry like this, and there's obviously other factors as well, Was that, that must have been like a, a challenge at times as well, having to, you know, come back and, and try and make it all work while you were juggling motherhood
1: as well. Yeah, I mean, even when I fell pregnant, I wasn't sure that I was going to keep my baby. And I had gone into uni to actually ask for time off to get an abortion. One of the women I refer to as like kind of a pillar in my career, Michelle Hine, I had gone in and told her I was pregnant and I'd said to her, you know, I don't know what what I'm going to do. And she said, do you think having a baby is going to prevent you from having a career? And I said, oh, absolutely. And she said, oh, there's no greater emotional toolbox as an actor than becoming a mother because your your level of empathy just expands. Like if you think having a baby is going to um, kind of impinge on your career, then that's not the case at all. It would actually enhance it. But yeah, so that was really comforting for me. In regards to my son, oh, well, you know, I've just had another baby like four months ago. I had, I had my third child and while we were in lockdown, and I would actually say it was a lot easier for somehow. Having a kid at 19, I had energy. I was hungry. You know, I could do it all back then. Yeah, it was hard. You, you kind of get by. You make do with what you have and just always remember someone else probably has it a lot worse. Yeah. I had some really good support from like my mates and I noticed that was always my brown mates, like not to make it a racial thing, Mm. but for some reason, my brown mates really knew how to support me because children are such a natural part of our Mm. families. Whereas I actually did lose, I lost a lot of friends. That was actually the hardest. One of the hardest things for me when I became a young mum was that I lost a lot of friends because I just didn't have anything in common with them anymore, you know, Mm. and and people really do um, drift away from you when you become a mum. But then I noticed there were just mates that I had made when I went back back to drama school. It was a group of brown mates, and they helped me raise my son. Um, You know, they helped me babysit when I had to go for auditions or anything that we did as mates was always – inclusive of my kid Mm. you know it was like a picnic at a park so he could go to the playground as opposed to like Friday night drinks you know so
0: and they were really in your corner they really wanted you to be able to do all the things you wanted to do and that's that's so great because yeah like it, it must be I think for a lot of people who whenever you have a baby but let alone navigating that when you're really young and you weren't expecting to that must be quite like lonely and isolating a lot so it's really cool to hear that you had a lot of people in your corner and that We're including you and and your family, really.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, even at the beginning when I did fall pregnant, I did have a couple of friends that weren't, like, they were, like, quite opinionated about it. It was quite shocking, you know. I remember one friend was like, you know, if you want to get an abortion, it's all good. It's not a baby. It's just sex cells. As a way to, I think, comfort me, Mm -hmm. but I am one of those Māori people that grew up without my language, very much like involved in my culture, but my grandmother was a part of that generation that got whipped, so she never wanted it for us. Through my adult years, have fought really hard to kind of live my life rooted in Ranga Māori, and when I understand the connection that we have to children and things like that from a cultural perspective, it makes sense why I instinctively felt that I did want to keep it was so funny because on one hand I really wanted to keep my baby and I felt like I'm 19 but I'm ready and then on the other hand you've just got society that tells Mm -hmm. you like this is wrong like you're too young like you know and so it's a very hard thing to navigate Mm -hmm. when you are trying to figure out what you want versus what society expects of you as a woman, as a brown woman, as a brown person, like all these layers that Mm. you have to kind of negotiate with yourself first, you know?
0: Yeah. Did you ever feel like it was used against you or you were judged because you were in that
1: position? Oh, yeah, 100%. This perception society has that young brown mums are just – are a stereotype, you know, they've made bad decisions. For me, becoming a mum so young gave me character as a person, it gave me resilience, it gave me purpose. I don't think I would be the person I, well, I definitely wouldn't be the person I am today, but I would argue that I wouldn't be as well-rounded as I am, you know? Mm. Because what Michelle said was right, my level of empathy for people, for everybody, just deepened once I became a mother. And everything just had such a focus to it. You know, like I often say that like my tūpuna and my grandparents, they are like my inspiration and my children are my motivation. My children are the the things that keep me going and that push me to go harder. And I'm really lucky that I've had that for so long. And, And I think that's why... I've achieved so many things so young mm. and, you know, it's. And, and look, I mean, you look at people like you, you had Athena on here a little um, while back and she's the same, you know, mm. I've always been really passionate about trying to break down society's misperception Mm. about young mums, yeah, and And, particularly young brown mothers, you know?
0: mm. With the work you're doing, and we'll go through that more soon, you are, you're breaking down stereotypes. It's comedy, so it's funny, but there's really important messages in there. So talk us through the creation of the Baby Mamas Club, and I know that... I've heard you talk about in the past when you were pitching it to producers and things, because that's like the major, one of the major shows you've created, that people were saying, oh, there won't be an audience, it's going to be really hard. And you talked about, you know, saying that you sort of almost believe those people because you'd think, well, they'd know they're right, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, so Baby Mums Club came about back in 2015. I had become a single mum at that time. I'd broken up with my son's father after 8 years and it was a real tough relationship that one especially because he was a bit older when you are a young woman and you fall into a relationship with an older man i think you tend to build a lot of your identity off of that person and and it was a very toxic relationship as well it really was not a healthy relationship so when i broke up with him i it was it was a very hard hard decision it was one of those relationships I never thought that I'd be able to get out of. You know, I had my I had my best friend um, and whatnot who'd helped me through drama school with my son, but I also had connected with a group of women. And one of them in particular, Moana Johnson, she had just broken up from her partner as well, and she was also a single mum. So we kind of really connected over this common lived experience. And what I really realized is very quickly being around women um, and being around this particular group of women, people like Moana, I began to like remember who I was. Um, And when you're in that type of relationship, when you're in a controlling relationship, your self-esteem, your confidence, everything is like rock bottom, right? Mm. Baby Mama's Club for me, what started as a love letter to these particular women, because they were the ones that helped me regain my my sense of self I remember things about myself that I had like had been left dormant for like close to 10 years you know what I mean Mm. and I was like fuck I'm actually a really fun person like I'm a fun person and so yeah when I started Baby Mama's Club it was a love letter to these particular women who were also all actors I mean none of us were really working because we were in that drought that I mentioned and at the time web series had just kind of started becoming popular Um, So the money was relatively contestable and I said to them, why don't we do a web series? Why don't we look at being young brown mums and have a show that basically said we're multi-layered, we're not kind of these stereotypes that you box us into. So when I created Baby Mama's Club, I created it for my friends and I created it as a way for us to say that we were proud to be young mums. We're amazing women. And also, you know, it was a love letter to that sisterhood, which I think you can see kind of the beginning of it in in season one.
0: Mm. Writing it all and coming up with it. I'm still in awe of people who write shows because I'm like, how do you do that? And then put it all together. It's just... It's so much. So well done. It's incredible. But it would have been almost like, I guess, sort of almost therapeutic from your breakup, which would have been incredibly hard. And, you know, like doing this with your friends and then turning it into a show.
1: Yeah. um, I don't know. It's real interesting with projects because you have an idea and once you have enough people attached to them, they kind of have their own like life force. Some of it's timing You know, it was really funny because actually at the time that I was working on Baby Mama's Club, I was working on a short film and that was the project I thought I was going to end up writing and producing that particular short film. For some reason, the script just never worked. When I started working on Baby Mama's Club, for some reason, that project ended up being more ready
0: than mm. the short film and baby mama's club I think it wanted to be born like it's like we need to be out there
1: like babies yeah they are, They're like they babies. are. same you... with sis
0: mm. oh my god I love sis it's so great I can't wait for more how do you like then put a show together obviously you know how to do all that stuff what I mean is to pitch it to people then to get get it the go-ahead like how does that all work and was that a hard process to get to get it all going
1: Yeah, we're really lucky in New Zealand, I think, because we have, you know, the New Zealand Film Commission and the uh, New Zealand On Air. So, you know, we're government funded with our projects here, which I always love to talk about with people that aren't in the industry because I don't think people realise that their taxpayer money actually pays for New Zealand content. Mm. And so that's why it's really important that people have a say about the shows that they like or what isn't working because at the end of the day you know New Zealand content needs to reflect our communities okay so the first thing that I do for me is as soon as like I feel like a project is really solid like in terms of an idea I go and pitch it to people that I want to get involved from the beginning so whether that's another producer whether that's actors I attach people as, as soon as I have a really solid idea because I find that for me it's one step to making it real and it, and I now have people that I'm accountable to. Mm. From there, generally, you see where the next um, funding round is that lines up with your project and from there you start to put the proposal together. I'm, I'm really big on writers' tables. So when I first start projects, I generally get a group of, like, writers and storyliners together, and I kind of get them to help me nut out the series and what it looks like and all the characters and make sure they're all fleshed out. And I think that's really important because you need different worldviews, You need mm. different lived experiences to inform the world. You know, obviously, I can't write every character – in my shows from lived experience because I've only lived my life. Day one of filming for me is my favourite of the whole process. It beats any red carpet, you know. That to me is the combination of this idea I've had in my head in real life like right in front of me on a screen behind that monitor it's not very exciting but no it's it's
0: actually kind of cool to hear because I think a lot of people who aren't in the industry wouldn't know how it all works what is it like because I know these days it's really cool that you can do web series you know you don't have to necessarily have something on a mainstream TV channel, but then it must be hard and well done on getting Baby Mama's Club on TVNZ because then from getting it to a web series where you can just release it yourself to then getting it onto, like, national TV, can that be quite
1: a tricky process? Well, because it's public money, right, the commissioners are very, like, risk-averse. So you get yourself in this weird situation where you need a track record, to prove that you can make the work, but you can only get track record if you can make something. And so oftentimes when you look at New Zealand television, it's the same people that make stuff. Mm. You know, it's the same people that have made every fucking TV show. And, And there was a very specific reason why I went web series because my ultimate goal is to make the first Polynesian chick flick. And the first Polynesian chick flick is Baby Mama's Club, the feature film. I knew that the traditional route to making a film is you have to make one or two short films. They then go to a festival. And, like, these festivals get, like, tens of thousands of submissions. If you're talking about Mm. Cannes or Berlinale or Toronto International Film Festival. And so... The chances of your short film breaking through and being selected are slim. I thought to myself, surely there must be another way. So when I thought about web series, I thought, well, what's the one thing that they want to know is eyeballs on screen. Like audience is king at the end of the day. And if you can prove that you have an audience for something, it's irrefutable. Mm. If I can make a web series and I can prove that the numbers are there and that there's an audience there then we can break into spaces like film and television, which is inevitably what's happened, right? Because, mm. you know, Baby Mama's Club was the prototype. It was the proof of concept. But, you know, even then, we still got turned down for people with sis. Even though Baby Mamas Club had done so well at the time that it released, Baby Mamas Club was only second on TVNZ On Demand to Shortland Street. You know the numbers were huge. Wow, the numbers that's massive. Broke records.
0: Shortland Street over like history has been one of the has been the top rating show on New Zealand television. So that's incredible to achieve that, and they still would turn you down for
1: doing another mm-hmm. show. It feels like they're chasing a unicorn in a way, right? Because mm. they're trying to chase. A mainstream audience and it's like what is a mainstream audience you know at the end of the day people love good content yeah you're they don't right. care what color people are people just love good content they love well-made content they love great storytelling and the other thing as well that I have always contested is if mainstream um, New Zealand enjoy black films they would probably enjoy Polynesian humor Or, you know, Polynesian content. Mm. But not only that, it's like if you look at the top grossing films that come out of New Zealand, it's Boy, um, Whale Rider, Sione's Wedding. It strikes me as being very odd that Maori and Pacific content is a commodity, Mm. but yet people are still very thing about funding it for some reason. Mm.
0: I think it's a bit better now, but a lot of, whether it be ethnicities, Māori, Pacific Island, um, even sexualities, for a long time, you weren't seeing any of that represented much on television. Um, and so it is really important, like with Baby Mamas Club and Sis, we've got females who are Pacific Island or Māori in lead roles, which doesn't, hasn't always happened. So that must have been really important to you as well, like you've spoken about before.
1: It actually didn't occur until we were well into making it that Baby Mama's Club was potentially one of the first um, full casts of Māori and Pacific women on screen ever. Like, it's
0: 2020 now, and obviously it's been out for longer than that, but isn't that wild that that hasn't existed? And so good on you for creating that. Like, it's time, you know?
1: I mean, the fact that we're struggling to think of something, yeah. I think, it is enough, whether it's the first or not. The fact that we struggle to reference anything that has a leading cast of brown women, when brown women are so visible in our society and it's bizarre that it's taken a web series to do that Mm -hmm. so for me a television series or a feature film is as well, well, well overdue. Obviously I'm biased, but when I look at my friends, brown women are just, they've got the source, man. They're just like, they're funny and they're sexy and they're really caring. Yeah. And yes, they've got big mouths, but they've got big hearts as yeah. well.
0: Good on you for what you've done. And I know you're very humble in that, but like what is it like facing that kind of adversity and creating something which is pure and true, but, like, how do you keep going? Because that must be so hard when you're literally pioneering an area which well and truly should have been, like, you know, there should have been space for that a long time ago. What are some of those challenges and, like, what's it like trying to overcome that?
1: There's always doubt, you know, there's always doubt of whether it's a viable project, whether there's going to be an audience. Um, Most recently, you know, uh, one of my work colleagues. He's New Zealand-born Chinese. And he was saying that um if he had have met me and I had have told him how hard it was being a brown woman filmmaker, he would have believed it. But him working alongside me over the last year or so, he said the amount of times he have he's seen me sidelined or just like gaslit a lot, you know, he said, just to see people kind of always doubt my decisions. When In his opinion, if I was a white man, there would have been no conversation around the things, the notes that I was giving or the things that I was asking of. It's very hard for me to talk about adversity when I've constantly been oppressed. Mm, Yeah. In all corners of society, you know, Um, and it's not until you get older, because the thing is, well, as brown people, you get brown people that are colonized, right? You get brown people that can't see it. They can't see that you're being oppressed because of your color or your gender. Same like women, you know, I, and I often talk about this, the same way in which you sometimes as a woman will walk into a space mm-hmm. and think, why am I being treated like this? And you can't put your finger on it yeah. and it's very confusing and muddy. It's basically the same thing. It's the exact same thing. For some reason, it just feels hard. Yeah. Does it
0: feel like you're constantly like
1: pushing Well, yeah, for me, I've always said like, you know, when I finally got it, you know, it was around the time that that feedback was accidentally sent to me. You know, this was post the pilot doing really well because Baby Mamas Club, you know, for me was like, um, and all of my work, you know, I often say that I'm not a filmmaker. I'm an activist that uses filmmaking through my platforms. It was about having social conversations, social political conversations through this TV show. And so one of the things that I wanted to discuss is slut shaming and gender inequality and the way that a woman would be treated so much differently in this situation versus a man. When the pilot for Baby Mamas Club came out, uh, I think we got 44,000 streams in the first, like... Yeah, in the first two days or something um, like that. So it had done really well. We accidentally got forwarded some feedback, which we shouldn't have. (laughs) And the comments from the external judge were that she thought it was really boring. She couldn't relate to it and she didn't know who would watch it. For me, that felt really bizarre because, I mean, as an example, one of the shows that she was recommending get funded, that particular show, we had more views on our one pilot than they had across two seasons of their web series. So for me, for someone to say, I don't know who would watch this, it's there in the cold data yeah you've already brought you know, them in, you've already brought them an audience you know baby mama's club was the people's choice you know if we would not have been funded if it wasn't for the audience the audience were the reason why we got a series and we got a second season my people's opinion of the show means more than some kind of distinguished industry produce it anyway mm. um but you know it's just shit like that and that was the moment that it really confirmed to me like these people are really out here like they're really out here trying to kind of impose their own taste or their own bias on what they think is good or what they think is is necessary or needed in the industry. We can't talk about change until we talk about systemic change and we can't talk about change until we talk about those that are in power changing. Mm. Uh, and that's why you need diverse people in decision-making positions because it's only then that real change can happen. And you see it with a, with a show like Sis – who got on to Comedy Central, you know. CIS got on to Comedy Central because when we went and pitched to Sky, the four commissioners from Sky were all brown women. There's no doubt in my mind if they weren't brown women, we might not have been picked up by Sky, but we definitely wouldn't be on Comedy Central. CIS was kind of a really great example of kind of a lot of brown women making it, to a certain level in their respective industries. And this one project came along and everyone was like, this is the project I've been waiting my whole career for. Like Mm. our commissioners were like, I've been in the industry for 20 years. There has never been a project like this, you know? And so people get very passionate about that and they all move behind it. And I think beautiful things like this happen, Mm. Um, not only brown women, but just New Zealand stories, to now be on a world stage—it's
0: mm. a really huge conversation around systemic racism, but like it is such a thing in so many different ways. And like you say, if they hadn't have been on that panel, then that that SIS probably wouldn't have gone there. And that's like just shows you how screwed up it is.
1: Yeah, you know, we had a pilot for SIS that had also done really well, and it had had gotten a lot of views across that. But still, we were still turned down by some platforms who just couldn't see a place for cis on their platform, which is fine. I would really question what they base that kind of assumption on because, as we all know, there's been a lack of brown stories on television, especially Mm. to date. And so, you know, where is the proof that Māori and Pacific stories don't have an audience? Because I would actually argue that there's proof that Māori and Pacific people have an audience in major ways uh-huh, I.e. everything Taika Waititi's yeah, made
0: exactly <laughs> And all the big films that, you know, like you said Whale Rider and Boy They all go international and, and like you say, they commodify them then But it's like, well, what about supporting and nurturing The shows that need to come through And then, yeah, you're so right I think Uh, There's a lot of things But people need They need to listen To what people actually want And what they're actually Watching on streaming sites And that's where The real power
1: is If you know what I mean Yeah but yeah And then it's a weird thing Where you know Then the industry says Oh well it's really hard To compete against These American shows Because they've got So much more money And everyone's watching American stuff And it's like Yeah but I don't think People are watching American stuff Because of the Production value They're watching it Because it's genuinely More interesting Yeah. Yeah And and, you know, America is a little bit more known for giving people, they're scrapping to find the new voice in America, you know. They're always looking for the new stories and the new voices and they will take, you know, they will take a risk on new storytellers and you've mm. seen it with things like Broad City started off as a web series as did um, Insecure. Issa um, Rae's Insecure started off as as Awkward Black Girl. And so in America, they're actually using web series as proof of concept for long format television Um, and that's how far behind we are over here that we're not saying you know what we need to be doing is we need to be giving new filmmakers you know a couple hundred grand to go make a web series and then from there developing their careers so they do start to Mm. be the ones making television in New Zealand you know.
0: We're going to talk a little bit about self-care because we do talk about self-care on the podcast. How do you look after yourself and it doesn't have to be a hardcore thing but like how do you keep yourself well and and I guess going through all this all this work that you've been doing.
1: Yeah, I've definitely, um, actually when we came into Flavor and Sulemi or like interviewed us and they said, what's been the most challenging thing? And I had said for me, it's been my mental health. My mental health has been a really challenging thing. A, because this job, And this career is very stressful. You pull very long hours. You know, you're working contract to contract. So, money is always a hard thing. And then, on top of it, I've got a a young family. You know, during my career, I've had three babies in the last 10 years. And so, as women, when we become hapu, you know, it does all sorts of things to our hormones. And oftentimes, our mental health is something that we can't help genuinely because of the hormones that are shifting within our body. Over the last couple of years, and this came from me just being absolutely burnt out, um, you know, at times I'll admit I became a person that, I didn't like, you know, because this having to fight all the time got me on the defensive and Mm. being on the defensive, you know, you start to become very guarded and pessimistic about things. And, you know, I'm still guarded to a degree, but there was just a lot about me that had changed that unfortunately I had fought so hard to reclaim during that time of singledom. And I did need some grounding. And I think over the last two years... The fundamental self-care that I've come to connect with is my mātauranga. I have started over the last two years really exploring um, maramataka, the lunar cycle, and you know, it it makes complete sense that, you know, we're 80% water, so of course the moon is going to have an effect on our mood. As an example, today is Fedor. Today is the new moon and Fedor is generally known as a a very sensitive time, probably the most sensitive time in our mataka It's a time to stay home, it's a time to rest. It's not a time to get um, into any um, debates or arguments <laughs> and it's also a time to honunga or connect which is what we're doing and to wananga and share um, ideologies about things. It's a time for deep talk and so it's been really awesome to see a resurgence in um, modern day matauranga through like things like Instagram. Our tūpuna were actually doing that and You know, there's something to be said about the fact that our people navigated halfway around the world by following the stars. What Maramataka has allowed me to do is it's allowed me to actually look forward and go, okay, well, I know that's going to be a fit all week, so I'm going to adjust my schedule around that. Or I know that Arakonui is coming up, and actually I do have some cleansing that I want to do, and I want to organise myself. So Rako nui is the full moon, um, and that's a really good time for organising the month ahead. And those things have kept my mental health really stable. And, you know, my last pregnancy was probably, like, the best pregnancy um, in terms of just being very balanced and grounded and and I can see it in my baby. He's such a calm baby. I've found a lot of joy. Actually, fiddle is also mainly the self-care day. So usually if we weren't on lockdown, I would meet up with my friend Grayson and we would do something or He'll say, "Shall I bring the foot spas around?" But it's definitely a pamper day. So, yeah.
0: If people want to learn more about that, and I think you're you're right, that is like self care on like a spiritual level, keeping yourself grounded and everything. If people would like to explore that a bit, like how, where would you suggest they look, or where can you find out more about that?
1: Yeah, um, Mata is um, an iwi dependent thing. Usually, I would say if you're Māori, consult with your iwi. Mm. um because they vary per tribe if you're not Māori, I would say to try and connect with the iwi of which you live in. But you know, I do see articles and stuff coming out from time to time which has beginner information. I think Mātauranga Māori is a lifestyle, and so it would be yeah, it would be something you definitely look at the holistic elements of. There are things that everyone can take away from Mātauranga. Mataka. Yeah. and to go to your thing of self care, like for us as Māori, we talk about far, right we talk about our four the four quadrants of being grounded and centered and mm. and those are your at your mental health your whaitowata your spiritual health your tinana your physical health and then your fano and if all four of those tupafare are in alignment then you should be in alignment mm. and you can usually tell when you're not in alignment which one needs to have some care, you know, or be addressed. But for me, like, your mental health is the most sacred thing that we all have, especially when we're going through things like COVID, Um, you know, depression is everywhere at the moment. And so to be able to really, like take care of your mental health and to really protect it mm. um, and to do the things that you need to do in order to protect it. I see people talking about social media detoxes and all sorts of things. I just think it's really important that we have a firm relationship with our henengaro, with our mental health, because mm. nothing works if that doesn't work, if your mental health is shit, everything else falls down yeah. after that, you know? You're so right. Mm.
0: What are some advice, looking back on what you know now,
1: what, what are some
0: advice that you would give to your younger self?
1: I would definitely have connected with my dim a lot earlier. I would choose people more carefully. I always say to young people, like, whatever you do, do it with excellence, you know? Do things really well and you know even with my son I say to him when you do something do it to the best of your abilities Mm.
0: you've sort of covered it um, we always ask to share advice with others and you've kind of covered that and that and, and doing things well and with excellence but is there anything else you would like to share with people listening especially those who would who maybe relate with you and would like to do you know incredible things like you are
1: your story and who you are is inevitably what makes you unique and so Really understanding who you are, understanding where you come from and who you come from. Be really curious about yourself, your past, your ancestors, your grandparents, you know. I think if I was to talk to many people and I'd say, how did your family come to New Zealand? You know, I don't know that a lot of people can answer those things, you know. What did your great, great grandparents do, you know? Or I think the more that you can really get to know your story, you understand what aligns for you and what doesn't. Mm. And you're able to navigate what you want in life a lot better. Mm. And so, yeah, just be really curious about yourself, your past, your family's past, and how does that kind of amount to who, who you are? You are the le- living, breathing legacy of your, of your ancestors, of your tūpuna, and that's whether you're any race. When you can really understand those things about yourself, You can walk into these situations that feel a bit hard. And you asked me before, how do you get through it? For me, I walk with hundreds of years of oppression Mm. on my shoulders. It's not just me. I fight so hard because I want to live the dreams that my grandmother couldn't, you know, and I want to be able to progress my people um, so that my children or my grandchildren don't have to feel that same adversity. And so that's what keeps me going is the fact that I walk with all my ancestors. Mm. I walk with all the shit that they went through and how who am I to give up when they never gave up.
0: Thank you so much for your time. I feel like we could talk forever. Thank you so much for your time uh, and what you're sharing and what you're doing. It's so incredibly important. So thank you so much for your time today. Thanks so much. Take care Bye. of yourself out there. Thank you so much for listening to the Self Love Club podcast. Please subscribe for weekly episodes and catch up on the backlog of eps you may have missed. Until the next episode, make sure you're following the Self Love Club at Self Love Club Podcast on Instagram for daily content, IGTV clips of interviews, and you can find me at Belle Crawford. Plus, find resources and articles on my website, bellcrawford.com with a new recommendations page with my book club all of the good shows to watch and also you can actually listen to all of the podcast interviews ever on the self-love club on the podcast page we've got heaps of incredible guests coming up with weekly episodes available each monday i'll catch you really soon Ellie the most k